You are listening to the Gift of Addiction podcast. This is a podcast that explores the nature, the causes, and the solutions of drug and alcohol addiction. Thank you for listening, and if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review. And if you'd like to see the interviews in video, jump over to my YouTube channel, The Gift of Addiction podcast, and hit the subscribe button. Hello and welcome to The Gift of Addiction. Today I am with my friend, Katie, who is also known as Veda Devi. And thanks for coming, Katie. You're welcome. I'm great. I'm happy to be here. Um, I will explain the uh, circumstances of us coming together today for the audience. Katie, Katie is a friend of mine and we met in recovery. I've heard her story a few times and given that I'm now doing this show on addiction, I thought she'd be an excellent person to interview. Um, Katie is also known as Vader Devi, as I said. So what's, what's with the um, Vader Devi, if you don't mind me asking? <laughs> uh, so it's a name I was given um, by, dare I say it, a guru. Um, my um, dear friend and teacher, a woman called Shakti Durga, so she is a woman that is a spiritual teacher, spiritual master, who has a school called Shanti Mission. And um, look, it's a really old tradition to be given a name. And what it means is it's what my soul um, is aspiring to be. You know, it's like a, um, it's like something to aim for. And so Veda, the Vedas, mm. which you know about from mm. meditation, mm. Um, is uh, the supreme consciousness. And it was cognized and um, brought to earth by the rishis in India after meditating for thousands of years. And they, um, it's now, you know, written text, but it was actually just a um, verbal transmission um, from teacher to student. And then, uh, so Veda, the Supreme Consciousness, and Devi means the goddess. So as my guru in India would say, so the goddess of Supreme Consciousness. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I've heard a little bit about the uh, rishis. Mm. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't it Shiva was the Adi the yogi, the first the ultimate yogi? Shi, the ultimate rishi. The did, ultimate did he, yogi. was it him or was he, he was the one who taught the, the seven rishis? Yes. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So you probably know a whole lot more about Yes and no. Like I'm still learning. I've read many books and I've been to many classes and I've had many teachers. So, but the interesting thing about these um, teachings is that quite a lot of them contradict, right? So, and what I've come to understand about that is that because it's talking about the divine, it's talking about consciousness, it's talking about something that us human minds could actually never really fathom. So in the stories contradicting itself, it's for us to not get attached to any one story, you know, because it's a forever changing, ever growing, ever evolving energy that yeah, we could never actually fully fathom. And I think that has been the age old quest of humans to understand God, to understand the divine. Um, and we can't, we just can't. It's too much for mm, our mm. teeny tiny little brains. Sure. You know, I think it's something that we can definitely experience. We can have feelings of it, you know, like I love through recovery. I can't remember if it's in one of the books, but um, that feeling of awe that we get, you mm. know, when we look at a star-filled sky or a dawn, you know, when the sun just breaks over the horizon, 
those moments where you you just have that connection to something greater and and you and you think there's got to be something really beautiful creating this it can't just be a whole bunch of matter smooshed together i'm i'm already going to love this conversation it's going to go <laughs> this is exact but i'm afraid we're going too deep too quickly <laughs> <laughs> it happens with me. I mean, with that name, Veda Devi, I do kind of go to those places. I've but actually, you can rein me back in. My, the extent of my knowledge on this is limited to uh, what I've been doing is the Vedic meditation. I know a little bit about uh, the background. This is not a limit. This is very, very vast. <laughs> um, but we will get back to that. I sure. would love to because, you, you know, the topic about man's... Uh, thirst for knowledge or the, mm. the, the desire to, to know God or the nature mm. of existence, whatever mm. you want to call mm. it, is pretty interesting stuff. Um, but let's go back to your story, if mm. we can, because as, as, I, as you know, this is hopefully going to reach addicts or alcoholics or people living with addicts or alcoholics. And, uh, you know, by telling your story, you can... Um, prove that recovery is possible and things you just accept things so why don't we start you grew up here in sydney yeah i did just around the corner around the corner from where we are now <laughs> in beautiful sydney yeah and um tell me so what you said what age did you think addiction or alcoholism manifest in your life or what were the um, events that preceded that you said something about so i'll let you tell the story but yeah sure um so oof. It's hard to know when something like this really seeps in because um, I truly believe that this um, ailment slash gift, <laughs> um, it's, it's an out-of-control ego, you know. It's, um, and I believe that part of self really um, takes over through trauma um, through, uh, through the environment in which the child oh. is being brought up in. And, you know, I, as I said before we started, I, I in no way want to um, talk poorly of my parents because I really believe they were amazing and are amazing. They're still alive, thank God. Um, they're beautiful, very heart-centered um, human beings. And, and just like any other human being, they're doing the best they can with what they had, you know. Um, I believe my father's father I, I've learned just recently I don't want to label someone that hasn't actually made that decision for themselves so let's just say my grandfather was a heavy drinker um, he sounded like he was quite an angry um, just uh, yeah look he, he sounded like he had a few issues himself and and that affects a child and so of course that um, affected my father and um, you know my father, he does like a drink um, and perhaps more, look, uh, from my perspective, he drinks more than what I would like him to, but that's my judgment and I've got to stop doing that, you know, because he's living his own life and he's been an amazing father. He's raised me. He's, you know, given me a roof over my head. I live with him right now as I've been um, sorting my life out over the past four years and starting university and he's been helping pay for some of that. So, you know, I really have a lot to be thankful for with him. Um, but I would say with his drinking and, and you know, the, the age in which my parents grew up, it wasn't encouraged to do any self-inquiry, you know, whereas our generation is a little bit more encouraged to get therapy, to do meditation, to um, talk about your feelings. 
our parents weren't given that opportunity. It was yep. go to work, get a yep. wife, husband, get a mortgage, get on with it. Yep. You know, pull your socks up and get on with it. Um, and, and, you know, we're not designed to be like that. We're, we're human beings with feelings and emotions and pain and trauma. And we need to connect and talk about that stuff. So I digress. But um, I think with that home life of two human beings that hadn't had those opportunities they uh projected their stuff onto me as their child and um you know my mother was a perfectionist um still is she's calmed down a lot since i've sorted my stuff out i think she's seeing that there's another way of being through the way i'm existing now which is such a gift um so what you're doing now has it's had a ripple effect, her. definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't drink now, okay. and she was really drinking quite heavily for go. a period there. Um, but, yeah, I, I remember always at school feeling just not good enough. I always felt, I mean, gosh, I remember being in year one and looking at a girl, she was sitting in front of me and she had this really thin wrist and her uh, watch, I know the detail as well, mm. I, can, I can see it. And the watch on her wrist was on the last notch, like it was, so it would be the smallest mm. band and it was still too big on her wrist. And I thought, gosh, why can't my wrist look like that? And it's a really clear memory of just constant comparison to the other little girls. I always... Not always. I would have these moments where I'd be in that real metacognition of thought, you know, where I could see myself thinking, why can't I seem to be happy, joyous and free like the other girls? They seem to just be really free. Yeah. Whereas a lot of the time I was really in my head unless I was being the class clown. When I was being the class clown, there was a bit of freedom there. Um, well, but I suppose I was still getting the love and adoration of my peers, right? Um, so, you know, high school goes on, you know, boys start to come into the picture and, um, and I think as young girls, we're really made to believe that we are okay if we have a boyfriend or if we have a man like wooing us or liking us or we're being sought after as females. Um, and I was a real sports nut in 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 school um i was an elite athlete i was a rower i um was looking to possibly go into state teams and things like that i think i held the record at my school for like 15 years or something someone only just for broke, rowing for for yeah one of my times like i remember it was an erg or a skull or something but this girl beat it maybe I don't know, seven years ago or something, and okay, we found out about it. Anyway. Went for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I love my parents still hold on to that. That, that was like this real amazing achievement. Um, again, another, that I feel like that's a real sign of those times is that, you know, to be any good, you had to be achieving something. Okay. And I really felt that. You know, I really felt I was loved and um, seen by my parents when I was achieving. And in Australia, with the culture, sport achieving in sport would be as good as anything, wouldn't it? I mean, oh, for sure, yeah, for sure. So, but then um, I, I guess my real demise into drugs and alcohol um, came when I was seventeen. Um, I so this period of time, I was actually going to um, try out for the New South Wales 
um, rowing team. I can't remember exactly, but I just remember I had trials the next morning. My friends and I were at a party. I was the only sober person out of our group. Um, Another girl was meant to drive and um, I saw her drinking and I... You know, there's this part of me that's like, oh, yes, you know, I, I, you know, I said that oh, I would drive and aren't I good. But, you know, there was also this part of me that wanted to be the hero, you know. So there's always two sides to a story. And if we get really honest about our lives, yeah. we can see where the ego comes into play. And, you know, we're never just a victim. You know, there's always different facets to every event that's happened. And that's one of the gifts from getting sober that I've learnt you know, that I can take responsibility for every single part of my life. So seeing this girl drink, I, I said to the girl who owned the car, I said, look, I, I think I should drive tonight. Mm. She said, okay, we'll get the keys out of my bag. And, and then it was some time after and I, I needed to go. I had the trials the next morning and I uh, said to the group, you know, let's go. Mm. And we got down to the car and um, we had lied to two of our girlfriends too, yeah, that we were getting a taxi up there, but they saw the car in the car park when they arrived and they said, well, you have to give us a lift home. So we were already one person over. And then um, my friend who owned the car came down to the car with two other boys from the party saying, we're going to give them a lift. And I wasn't happy about it. We definitely was too many people in the car. Yeah. It was a small car. Yep. Um, you know, it was late at night, everyone was intoxicated, I was just ready to go. Yep. So, you know, we jumped in the car and um, we drove, we, t- we took off from the party and, um, you know, on the way to the, like, the entrance to get us back down to the main road, um, we were just singing, having a good time. Once we got down to this road that we had to go down, my mind has actually blocked um, any names of like roads or where it was. I'm, I know I can find out, but I actually don't want to. I, okay. don't, I don't need to. Maybe I will at some point, but I think I've done a lot of deep diving around this event. It was okay. extremely traumatic. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, it's just something I haven't done, so I can't tell you where exactly where it was. But... Um, we went down this road and look after the accident we found out that you know the road had been tapered out not tapered in with the rain and also at 17 i had no understanding of ballistics and and like the um mechanics of a car so you know with the weight in the back there was no traction on the front wheels wet road it was raining Mm -hmm. we um fishtailed and the the wheel locked i couldn't move the wheel but the car was fishtailing um, the girls in the back were saying, stop, stop. It wasn't me. I wasn't doing anything with the wheel. We, um, we crashed and um, the car ricocheted and hit um, a tree at the back and um, killed the two boys in the back instantly. Yep. And uh, yeah, it was, I was knocked out. I woke up on the wheel and um, we don't need to get into the gruesome what I saw and everything, but, um, you know, I was charged with a f- number of different charges and, um, you know, I had to be formally arrested and, um, which was traumatic in itself. You know, I'd already seen dead bodies. I'd woken up in a hospital, um, you know, 
I knew, I, I, when I woke up in the hospital and my parents were there and a friend was there and they all had tear-streamed faces, I just said, the boys, and they just started crying and I knew, I knew yeah. that they were dead. And, um, and you know, that, that, that period of my life was um, horrendous. I, ca sure. I can't even begin to explain the, the pain yeah. that I was in. And, um, you know, I don't think I spoke for a while. Um, I, it's interesting that we, I know you wanted to talk about spirituality. As a child, I was extremely connected to a higher realm of consciousness. I used to talk about God all the time. I would pray. Um, my parents and like, they don't, I remember when I asked my mum, what happens when you die? She said, oh, you just get buried in a hole. Mm -hmm. I was like, what do you mean? There's nothing else? She was, I'm like, what, so it's just black forever? She was like, yep. I knew that that wasn't right, you know? And I used to speak to angels. If people had died yeah, that were close to us, I'd write poetry to the family saying that the angels had them. And, and it was a knowing. It wasn't like some story I'd created. It was a knowing in my heart that yeah. that's what happened. And, um, and so when this event happened, when this accident happened, I felt, it was like I felt this uh, like layer of me get pulled out of me. I, it was a visceral, physical experience. And I don't know how else to explain it, but it was like an essence of me got pulled out. Mm -hmm. And I was desperately trying to grab it. And um, how, how long after the event itself? Was this a, a process that... Sort of. I remember being in my room, uh, maybe, oh, I want to say a couple of weeks, because I probably was in PTSD, severe PTSD yeah, sure. afterwards, so I don't remember much of those first couple of weeks. I mean, beautiful people were coming with flowers and like cooking us food, and a girlfriend made me pyjamas. It was really sweet. But I remember being in my room, and I felt this energy leave me. And I remember just being like, oh my God, it's gone. Like that, that thing that I'd always had my whole life that I didn't quite understand, but I just knew it was God. It felt like it had been taken from me. And I remember diving to the floor, screaming to God, okay. saying, why? What did I do? What did I do? Please, I don't understand. And for someone that had grown up at a non-denominational school, parents that didn't believe in God, how do you explain that? Sure. You know, that it was just... It was, so what, what was it? What do you believe that it was that was taken from you? I don't believe it was something that was taken from me. I believe that, um, and it's interesting, I've spoken to another friend that had a similar experience when she was about three or four years old. A trauma didn't happen, but it was like, um, she, so she could re remember things from past lives when she was about three or four and she'd talk about like obelisks and like, Okay. crazy things that a three or four year old shouldn't know. But she was playing in her front yard and she said she could feel this like veil drop. And it was like she was disconnected from that and she couldn't remember any of her past lives anymore. And so what I believe is, cause we're living in a time the, in, in Vedic knowledge, it's called a Kali Yuga. So this is the darkest time we could be in existence. There's four ages. Mm. There's the Satya Yuga, which is like the, the Yuga that, Yuga means age, Yuga of truth. So we're like 
we can speak to each other telepathically. We're totally connected to God. We know that we're divine beings. We don't, we see ourselves as human, but we know that we're divine all at the same time. Um, you know, we can manifest things. We could say, oh, I want, I need this. Boom, it's there. You know, it's just that instantaneous power. So divinely connected to our consciousness that is everything. We can just pull that through. Then we go into the um, Dwapara Yuga, um, which is like the Silver Age. So we lose, I believe it's, I think, 25%. So we drop down into a 75 percentile consciousness. Um, then we have the Treta Yuga, which is like the Bronze Age, um, which then we drop another 25%. So we're at like 50% of knowing that we're divine. And I mean like the population as yes, well. So yeah. like 50% of people will remember, 50% of people don't and then now we're in the kali yuga which is like the the lead is this um, a cyclical process it is a cyclical process so we will tip back into yep. the next age but um we're going to be in this for quite some okay. time okay and that um to me is quite apparent very obvious if mm. you look around the world you get that feeling that things are not really very healthy the no. planet itself yeah. is is sort of fighting back a little bit here yeah. But Katie, I want to get back to your story. Yeah. So this event, uh, this tragedy, and I could feel the pain from you when mm. you were telling me. Mm. Um, you believe that was that was a trigger for the onset of? Yeah. Well, I'd say with that experience of like the trauma and everything. I mean, one, it was like this event that happened that proved that voice in my head that had been there all along, telling me I was a piece of shit. Um, I was useless, I was an idiot, I was a fuck up. Um, it proved it right. And, um, you know, being someone so desperate for everyone's love and approval to have now done this, not that I did it, it was an accident, but at that time I believed it was all my fault. You know, it, you know people would say to me, it was an accident, it was an accident. I'm like, yeah, but I drove. You know, I yeah. was at the wheel. Yeah. So it is my fault, you know. Um, I, I do now, year, years and years and years of working on this, I do see that it was a pure accident and I do, and I don't want to make any light of the loss of the two boys, but I do believe it was a divine plan. Um, I don't believe there's any mistakes in this world. Mm. I believe it is all for our learning and for our growth and for our evolution as a consciousness, sure. not just me, yeah. everybody. Um, I mean, that has ramifications or for free will. You know, that's one of those questions, isn't it? And mm, I've thought long and hard about this. Yeah. Is everything we do... Funny, that was coming into my consciousness this morning when I was meditating okay. about free will and God's will. There and all you that. go. It's happened many times, but it's funny that it popped back in today. Okay. Yeah. But so naturally you dealt with a lot of trauma following this as yeah. anyone would yeah and you weren't drinking or using drugs up until no, that point so no. afterwards yeah so i met a girl who um introduced me to pot and um oh my god it was a solution to everything mm -hmm. i remember when i took that first hit of a joint yep. oh no i think i started with uh water bongs <laughs> Anyway, um, okay, very straight, Australian, straight to the bong. Straight to the bong. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I just. I used to love a good bong myself. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> um, but I just, I felt that instantaneous relief. I felt. Right. 
oh, it just felt like everything washed away. I had nothing to worry about. I could stop thinking. I could breathe. It just made everything stop for mm -hmm. a while. Mm. Yeah, so I was in year 12 at the time and um, I would just, and my mum, God bless her, she made me go back to school. Yeah. I think a lot of parents would have maybe like just let their kid, I don't know. But um, she was like, just get your degree. Yeah, just get your HSC. Yeah. She, and I hated her at the time for it. I was like, don't you see I'm like dying here? Mm. But I'm glad she did, um, you know. But I, I would go and sign in at school and um, this girl would then come pick me up. We'd go and smoke weed all day and then I'd come back to get picked up for school from school or I'd go home yeah. and pretending like I'd been at school all day. And mm. That was really the beginning. And then, um, you know, as... Oh, I hate when people say like weed's the gateway drug. But yep. I think if you're gonna if you're gonna go down that road, anything can be the gateway. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that started my um very quick spiral. Okay. Very quick. Like I um, you know, started dabbling in speed and ecstasy and party drugs, you know, we'd go to the club and take half a E and it was awesome. Yeah. Um but then I, I, yeah, I think once I left school, I got involved with like hard party people. Um, yeah, that like smashed it all weekend. They were older than me. They were like 15 years older than me. Um, and, you know, I very quickly saw that I wanted to spend all weekend like I'm talking Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. That was my weekend. Yeah, yeah. Um, as high as I possibly could. Sure. And so that got me doing work that I never would have imagined I would have done. You know, I was uh, doing topless waitressing. Okay. Um, I was, yeah, working in like bikies clubhouses. Yeah. Um, I became a dealer. Mm -hmm. I... Um, went to Darwin and stripped for a month. Okay. Um, because that was the stuff that paid big money for very little work. Yep. I mean, yeah, little work, but huge chunks of my soul. Sure. Huge, I had no what. But did you know at this stage that it, that did you have a feeling that you, you might be addicted? Because no, no just, idea. Just one second, because what you were describing mm. even before that event, mm. when you're at school, mm. you've, you described what seems to be like a universal characteristic of people who suffer from the disease mm. of addiction. Mm, 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 and that's that restless, irritable discontent, the feeling I'm not good enough. But so, I want to say at yeah. that, you know, there are people that don't go down the road of addiction that have the same sure, head. Totally. You know, um, so and that's why they talk about in recovery that it's a threefold disease. Mm. You know, that mm. it's mental, spiritual, and physical. You know. So I suppose what I was trying to say to you was, you 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 indicated symptoms of that mm. before the car accident mm. um, and obviously then it, it, the trauma associated with the car accident afterwards yeah. definitely had something to do with, as you describe it, a very quick spiral into addiction. Yeah. Yeah. And so my question is, when you were doing these things, to these unsavoury things yeah. to, to um, 
satisfy your addiction or to, to get the money, obviously, to buy mm, drugs. Mm, mm. Were you aware that you were addicted? I mean, was there any no, sort of awareness no, around it? Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Um, because I, I quickly found the people that used the way I did. You right. know, like I very quickly found those people that smoked weed every day, mm. that drank every night and that partied Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Yeah. Maybe even Tuesday, maybe even Wednesday, you know, like, so it was just like, oh, this is just what people do. Yeah. Honest to God, that's just, I was in the complete delusion that this was totally normal. And also you got to remember, I was suffering a severe trauma. So I... I hated myself. Like I wanted sure. to die yeah. on a daily basis. Ooh. I woke up wanting to die. I would be disappointed that I'd woken up and I would go to sleep hoping to die. And that was my existence for about 13 years. Okay. I'm not saying every day, but I'd say 75% of that time was a, I had a death wish. Mm. So I put myself in those places because I did not care about myself anymore. Mm, I didn't care. I didn't care. At what stage did you realise that something, that you needed help? There was a couple of times. um, I remember being like 21 and I was at my godfather's house in Double Bay. I would sometimes come to his house and like, I don't know how I used to get in. It was like a gated, he's a very wealthy man with like gated mansions and things. I don't know how I used to get in, but I did. And I, he'd sometimes find me on his couch because um, I didn't want to go home. Mm. And um, well, because if I went home, then I'd get in trouble, you know, and I'd get the rousing that I was just didn't want to get. Um, and I remember, I, I think my parents were away and I just broke down at, on his couch with him sitting next to me. And I just said, I can't go on anymore. I can't do this anymore. Yep. Um, I'm a mess, you know? And so he booked me in, he did the best he could he, um, with the knowledge he had. So he booked me into a wellness retreat, okay. which was lovely. It was a great little break. Sure. Um, and I remember the night before I was set to leave, um, I went out with friends and I, you know, took a lot of things before getting on the plane, just to get on the plane. So where was this? Overseas? No, no, no. It was just up in um, the Byron hinterland. Oh, not Byron. Um, it was uh, Camp Eden. Beautiful retreat. Okay. Absolutely gorgeous. I highly recommend it to anybody. Where is Camp Eden? <laughs> um, it's, oh, I think I flew into Coolangatta. Okay, I don't know. I was so pretty toasted. Yeah, it's I don't... up that way. <laughs> Yeah, it's beautiful, but it's beautiful. I do remember like being there. And, yeah. And um, I flew in and um, I went straight to my room and they, you know, wanted me to come down for like a group. Um, it wasn't a retreat center, uh, not like a rehab or anything. No. It was literally just like okay. people were going there to get off cigarettes and yeah, lose yeah. weight. Sure. And I was there like rocking from coming down from drugs. Okay. Wasn't, it wasn't nice. But anyway, um, but, you know, of course I meet, there's two young, not young, but they were like in their 40s, two guys that were just taking a break from partying. Okay. And of course I befriended them. And so as soon as I left, I went to their house and got on it. Right. You know, I yeah. wasn't ready to stop. Well, just, you were 21. It's pretty 21. young. So there was that. And then I had another breakdown maybe 
a year later and I went into an I actually went into a rehab then mm. my parents booked me into okay. a rehab but you know I I remember one of my friends one of my party friends came to see me and we were talking about getting on it when I left yeah. you know um, that was a pretty severe treatment um, like they had me in um, intensive care they took like my sho shoelaces and any cords or anything so that I wouldn't try and kill myself and um, so there was that. How and long was that program for? To be honest, you know what? It was actually, uh, I don't remember much of it because okay. the only reason I remembered even being there was when I went to go and speak there to okay. talk about my story. All right. And I was there and it was halfway through my speech that I realised I'd been there. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Like, that's how just really messed up I was. Yeah. No, it was the drugs and the alcohol, but it was just, it was the PTSD too. Sure, I was just, sure. I was a walking shell. And I truly believe as well, like when we experience trauma, our, a part of our spirit leaves us, you know, and, and, but it's a safety mechanism. It's so that we can just kind of get by without too much on board. And it's not until we're ready to actually deal with the trauma that more energy will come in and we can actually use that energy to heal. All right. Um, and then what was the next one? Um, I then had, I, at 27, I had a full blown mental breakdown. Um, I, so my 27th birthday, I had a, my first real sort of spiritual experience since I was a child. Like yep. after like I'd see angels and all that. Not see them, I just knew they were there. Um, but I hadn't had an experience like that for quite some time. And then on my 27th birthday, I, uh, my friend was throwing a big birthday party for me. The, bir the birthday party I'd always wanted someone to throw for me, right? Like everybody's there and it's thrown for me there was a dj there was drugs there was alcohol mm. there, it was on yep. it was on a rooftop in bondi i felt so uncomfortable okay I felt so uncomfortable All and right. i was like what is going on like this is everything you could have ever wanted yeah like, what's wrong you know all i could think about and this is very typical of people like you and i um all i could think about was the people that weren't there Okay. You know, the yeah. people that hadn't shown up, right. um, that the music wasn't loud enough, that the, uh, the speakers weren't good enough. Like I was just picking out all the problems. And that was my first experience of that real, wasn't my first experience of the restless irritable discontent, but it was the first time I noticed it. Yeah. I was like, whoa, like what's going on here? Yep. And so I remember I took myself to the back. That, so they were out on the front balcony, big, huge rooftop. Yep. And I took myself out the back where there was no one to have a good like talking to myself, like, come on, get in the game. It's a party to be had, drugs to be yeah. taken. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember I just sort of, you know, talking to myself and I was having a cigarette and I felt a tap on my shoulder and I turned around, no one was there. And then this voice just said, enough now. And I knew, and I knew it was like, a, it was not necessarily God, but it was, it was a being and it was wanting the best for me and it wanted me to stop drinking and taking drugs. Yeah. And, and I, and so internally I was like, yep, okay, I hear you, I get it, after tonight. Yeah. And so, you know, I proceeded to have a good night, party, blah, 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 and then I made this deal with myself that I would do 30 days, I'd do a detox. Okay. 
I'd heard of these detoxes before, you know, people doing these. I had sure. girlfriends that would do these, like, I'm not drinking, I'm not drinking coffee, I'm not smoking, I'm not eating meat for 30 days or like three months or something. I'm like, why the fuck would you do that? Like, that sounds horrible, you know? But I thought, I'm going to do one of those things that those people do. And so I, um, I started and three days later I had an empty bottle of wine in front of me and I didn't know how it got there. Yeah. And I thought, oh, fuck, I've gone and done it. I'm one of those yes. people. Yep. I've crossed over that thin red line they talk about. No defense against the first drink. No, but I didn't know any of that sort of no. like terminology or anything. I just, but I just, I knew. Yes. I knew I was one of those people that had an issue. That's when it hit home That's for when you. it hit home. Yeah. And so the next morning I said to my mum, oh, can we go for a walk? And my mum thought, what's going on here? You know, because I, I never was home, you know, and if I was home, I wasn't a very nice person. So she, I think, I remember her saying to me, I thought you were going to tell me you were pregnant. <laughs> anyway, so we went for this walk and I said, oh, mum, I've got something to tell you. And she said, okay what you know and I've been arrested a number of times in this period she's like oh god what could it be now and I said I think I think I've got a problem with drinking I didn't I don't think I said drugs but okay. I said drinking yep and she said um yeah <laughs> welcome to the okay. table <laughs> All right. you know? and um and I said you know I think I really need to see someone I think I need to see a therapist I need sure. to deal with what happened to me mm. I never dealt with it I, I was going to therapists and stuff after the accident, but I was so annoyed at these therapists. I just could feel that none of them knew what the fuck I was going yep. through. And they were just speaking to me from a textbook and I didn't want a fucking bar of it. I didn't want a bar of it. Yeah. And so a little side note that I feel like I need to add in. I remember saying maybe a year after the accident, I said, I vow, I made a prayer, even though yeah. I didn't feel connected to God anymore. I said, I vow to be that person that no one has been able to be for me. I vow to be that person that understands, cool. yeah. sits there and says, I know, it's gonna be okay. Um, little did I know that that prayer would come and bite me on the ass. <laughs> um, I mean that very much jokingly, because I love my life. Um, but um, I forgot where I was up to. Then. So you um, you're talking to your mum. Oh yeah. So you know. So I started seeing a therapist. Yeah. Um, she definitely suggested um, going to a twelve step group. Okay. Yep. Um, how, how did your mum know about that? Was she? She didn't. She just sent me to a therapist. Oh, the therapist suggested. The therapist suggested that okay. I go to a twelve step group. Yeah. Um, but I. Um, I, I think I went to a couple, but all I, I, I wasn't ready, you know, and all I could see was these losers mm. that couldn't handle their drink. Yeah. You know, that's how I saw it anyway. And uh, then, so I was trying to not drink, but I just, you know, I'd get a couple of days up and then, I don't know, Melbourne Cup would happen. Sure. And, you know, or yeah. something, you know, they just, and, and, and I would always find, if, so if I wasn't drinking and then I'd have a drink and then it'd be 5 a.m. the next morning and I'd be on drugs and I was just like, how do I get here? Mm. What's happening? I don't understand. And then um, I remember one night 
getting on it and I had to be at the therapist the next day and I hadn't slept because I'd been on coke and I just felt horrible and I was going crazy. Yeah. And um, I went to my therapist and I had a full-blown mental breakdown. It's not a good feeling, is it? No. Especially mental breakdowns, like your whole like world collapses. Yes. Like I, I remember saying to her, if you asked me to go and buy a bus ticket right now, I wouldn't know how to do it. She said, that's okay. I'm just, you're having a mental breakdown. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. Yeah. And they got me to, into a rehab straight away. Okay. Yeah. Cause it was like, it was bad. I was, I'd lost it completely. I, I, uh, I had no idea. I did. I was even starting to think like, what if I forget how to breathe? Yeah. Uh, everything came crashing down. That's, that's probably like the insanity that you hear. So, you know, mm. yeah. And I can relate because I've, mm. been, I've been there, mm. but, uh, so tell me more when you get to the, this is like your second rehab. Your first one was a wellness retreat, so we yeah, won't yeah, yeah, yeah. call that a rehab. Yeah, but you know, yeah. you've obviously been. How old are you at this stage? Twenty-seven. Okay, so did you? How did you go after the the senior rehab? So, I went into that rehab believing that if I just dealt with what happened to me, I'd be okay. Yeah. Because I still didn't have any notion that I actually had an issue with drugs and alcohol. Okay. This flies annoying me. Yeah, I know, I can see. <laughs> um, I truly believe that I was the way I was because of what happened. Yeah. So I thought if I go in and I get sorted and yeah. get all sewn up, I'll be all right. So I did, and I, I didn't really um, divulge how much I was drinking or taking drugs because okay. I was like, it's not the problem, guys. The yeah. problem is this thing that happened when I was 17. Mm. So, you know, I, I did a lot of work on that. But, you know, I was just, I was literally just starting to open up the stitching by going yeah. into that rehab. Because that was the first time I actually really started to deal with that. Yeah. And that is a, that is a big bomb mm. to deal with. Yeah. And that's taken me, and it's still, you know, like, what? since I started on that journey of healing, it's 17 years. Yeah. Um, sorry, it's, what am I now? Three, yeah. It's about 17. 17 yeah. years, yeah. Can I ask you, how do you deal with it? And so you said that you opened up the stitching. Do you, do you I mean, how, how do you, how have you been able to deal with it I mean look at that rehab I remember I had to like write a fairy tale of what happened which was a good way for me to sort of be a bit separate from it right and I was able because I don't think I actually I was having a lot of nightmares of course like night terrors of the event but um how do you deal with trauma um there's many many different ways and I tr I believe that when you're ready like when I was ready, teachers, therapists, books started to come into my consciousness. But I actually had to be in that place where I was like, I'm ready to deal with this. Yeah. You know, um, and I, I, I think Mastin Kip is a real, he's a um, trauma specialist. Mm. I love following his okay. Instagram and um, his writings and his speeches. Um, but 
you know, he's one of many. Um, and I do believe there's many different ways. But so, for example, the Vedic meditation that you yeah. and I both do, you yeah. know, that's sitting twice a day for 20 minutes, allowing your body to de-stress, unstress, um, by just sitting and breathing and chanting a mantra. I have also done um, training as a therapist. And through that training, I've had to deal with my own stuff. And I don't, we're a multi-layered, multifaceted being. We're more than just this physical being, mm-hmm. you know? We're a soul, we're a spirit, mm. we're, we have an energy body with chakras and meridians and oh, an yeah. auric field. Yep. Um, we have um, our family line to deal with. Um, there's a lot to us, but it depends on where you're at and what you believe in and what floats your boat that yep. will guide your that bloody flies back. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Keep going because I'm um, interested in this. That will direct your yep. um, path of healing, you know, and definitely getting into recovery was part of that yeah. as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't stay sober from that point. Um, I I tried, um, but I just didn't believe that I was um, one of those. Yeah. Um, and so I went back out for a number of years and, the reason I speed up is because then it actually gets to the part where I do, but I, I had my awakening, you know, a lot of yeah. people get into recovery from um, having a rough bottom, like yeah. getting arrested. I mean, I got arrested five times. Yep. That didn't do anything for me. Um, scared the shit out of me, but I, I, I believe this stuff happens when it's meant to happen, you know, and um, I was at Burning Man. Um, I was just about to turn 30. I, um, it was my second time to Burning Man and I um, was with two people and I don't know if I can talk about what actually happened because it's quite out there All right. like in a metaphysical context. Yeah, it's, I want to hear it. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know if I can go. I'll talk about it as much as I can that I feel comfortable with. All right. Yeah. Because um, it, it's quite sacred okay, what happened sure. and it's not, um, I know that this is going to go out publicly and it's, yeah, it's it's really quite out there. Okay. Um, so basically, the, this couple who are beautiful light workers. Um, one is actually a light worker. He does like projection mapping of um, uh, like beautiful light installations on things like the man at Burning Man, and um, you know, like vivid. Um, you know, they have like those projections of like the the building falling down on Custom's yes, house yep, and things like that. Yep. That's the kind of work he does. Okay. So not only is he a light worker, but he does it through lights. It's amazing. Yeah. And his wife is, uh, she does beautiful divine feminine work, um, really helping women to connect to the truth of their essence. Yeah. Um, and men, if they um, assign to feeling more like a woman, doesn't matter about gender, it's the feminine. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, I didn't really know these people very well, um, but we were standing sort of on the outskirts of our camp um, as the sun was setting and our, our camp yeah. was about to have a party. Okay. And the wife um, said to her husband, in regards to me, she said, she's ready. And he said, okay. And he grabbed her hand and she grabbed my hand. And then they started leading me like a follow the leader 
what I, I understand now is that they were getting me into like a meditative state mm. to, and to just trust them. Mm. And I was at this point in my life where I was so desperate. I was so desperate for an answer. I was so desperate for a solution. I was yeah. so desperate to be taken out of my life. Yeah. You know, at that point, not, you know, with the long string of shit that had happened, another explosion of things had happened with like a best friend and a boyfriend guy that I was seeing and then them getting together and I was just done I was so broken yeah. open and bleeding heart and tired and sad and lost and alone and in pain I was ready for anything yeah and I believe that's what she saw and so through this meditative state, they then got me into a state of consciousness that then helped me to experience matter as energy. Yep. So matter, I won't say what matter it was, but some matter separated into energy for me to then pass through as a physical being. That's as far as I'm going to go with That's... that. But I, I had this experience where yeah. I... I yeah, I, I saw more than what this third dimension yeah. has available to okay. us. And I had no idea what I'd experienced, yeah. but it was extremely powerful. And I came out the other side, total mind blown. Um, I thought I'd actually lost my mind. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Mm. And by mm. no way am I trying to um, take any value out of what you're saying, but mm. were there any drugs involved? This is what everybody asked. Yeah, there were drugs involved. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't... Um, there were psychedelics, obviously, because uh, you're no. a burning man. No, I wasn't no? on psychedelics at the time. Oh, okay. No. Um, I've never been. I just assumed that it would be, you know, full of mushrooms and LSD. Yeah, but there's I also mean, sober parties. There's okay. people that There are people there with families. Yeah. It's not... You know, there are people that are getting high like I was. Yeah. But at that time, I'd only had a little bit of something. Okay. Um, um, that wasn't a psychedelic. All right. And um, so it wasn't to do okay. with what I was on. Sure, absolutely, yeah. yeah. yeah it and was... so was this moment, because now I want to take the conversation towards your spirituality. Yeah, well, this is what, this is the um, catalyst. Yeah. So the party then goes on. Um, Actually, sorry, when I had that experience of matter not being matter and it actually being energy, I... Because, look, you've got to understand, I, I'd had experiences like that through drugs and stuff before, but I, I never knew what I was experiencing. Mm. And, you know, if, you, any, if you're any kind of spiritual aspirant like I am, you will have listened to Ram Dass. Yeah, totally. Who yep. was, you know, his start on his journey to becoming Ram Dass was through LSD. Yes, it was, you know? yeah. And so... Yeah, I think we do need to be careful in the way we talk about that stuff because drugs are definitely um, an opening for us to experience yeah. higher levels of consciousness, yeah. for us to experience what is actually available that we don't see in well, the Well, I was going to say to you before mm. that, you know, and I'm, I've got to be very careful with what I say, obviously, because, mm. um, but, you know, with the trauma mm. and because when I first went to my rehab, I was in rehab with a bloke. Um, a really nice guy, an Australian who'd served in the military, he'd done mm. a couple of tours in Afghanistan and he'd, 
he was in the compound of the Australian Army mm. in Afghanistan when a suicide bomber came into and blew up the um, place and he had to pick up body parts, collect the body parts. And so he, he was working with psilocybin as a way of dealing mm. with the trauma. Yeah, yeah, that's real. It's becoming um, more uh, popular, which is fantastic. And ketamine as yeah, well. Right. Um, ketamine was actually my drug of choice. And right. I understand why now. Um, they they use it for um, anest like in anesthesia, like to put people under. Because yep. um, it, it really does take people to a happy place. Sure. Um, some people don't have great experiences, but I digress. I, I believe that, you know, there are no mistakes in this world and that there are, you know, these drugs that, like, I mean, psilocybin is a, is a natural compound that comes from mushrooms. Mm. And I don't know, I'm not a chemist, I don't know enough about it, but, you know, I, I don't believe that there are, the, these things are not mistakes, you know, that, um, that no. the divine hasn't created these things for us to, I mean, we're abusing them, but they are for our benefit. Mm. Um, unfortunately, for someone like me that's gone pushed over the thin red line, that stuff's not about. Not unfortunately, I've had my experience. Yeah. I've done my thing. Yeah. I don't. I don't. And I don't need that stuff today because I have such an amazing yes. connection with go. the divine yeah. that I don't need that stuff to bring me to that. Sure. You know. Um, so just back on what happened. I later that night, that couple. Um, our whole camp went off to see something Yep. and I was not in a good way. I thought I'd gone mad. Uh, my head was spinning. I, since that experience, then proceeded to take a lot of stuff that okay. night. Yep. Um, and cause I was just trying to like, uh, understand what had happened to me. And then I, um, I had this like bubble in my chest, mm. um, which has been, a theme that has, well, not a theme, but an experience that still comes up today. I get that bubble again in my chest. And sometimes I have to like belch when I'm having like energetic processes. So it's really interesting. But um, yeah, um, this, this bubble was in my chest was stopping me from going out. I mm -hmm. felt really unwell. I wanted to be sick, but I couldn't be sick. And anyway, so I found a spot in our camp and everyone's gone. Yeah. Like everybody's gone because we wanted to go and see our friends that were performing on a certain art car. So everyone's gone except for the couple. Yeah. Of course. And I rolled into the wife's arms and I just looked up at her and I said to her, what I experienced, like, did that, did that happen? And she said, yes, darling. And I just burst into tears. My heart fully opened yeah. because this truth came washing over me that there's so much more to my beingness that I always knew as a child, but I'd been denying ever since the accident. You know, I was starting to even say in that period that, you know, God doesn't exist. God's not real. Um, yeah. But every time I said that, I'd get this real like flip flop in my stomach and I felt sick. And so this, that experience that I'd had those few hours earlier was an experience of truth. And I knew that. And I just started wailing. She passed me off to her husband and he literally held me like a baby as I was reborn. And I know that sounds really like, it sounds like whatever it sounds like, but that's what was happening to me. I felt everything being stripped from me. As I cried, I felt my skin, my... Uh, just 
all my experiences, um, my lives, it felt like everything was getting pulled from me. Um, and I was being just stripped bare, mm -hmm. completely stripped bare yep. to my core essence. Mm. And then he proceeded to channel a message to me. One of those things was you need to stop drinking and taking drugs. Yeah. You have to not get, I don't think he, I don't believe he used the word sober, but like you need to be clean. You need to start meditating every day. You've got a really big job on this planet to do, which yes. I think every single human being has a really big job on this planet to do. It wasn't just at that time I took it as like, oh, I'm going to be the rescuer and savior of the world. Every single person on this planet has a big job to do to surpass the ego and step into the truth of the divine. Mm. It's a huge process. Yeah, it is. Um, I didn't understand that that's what it was though at the time. Um, he said, you need to go on a pilgrimage. Um, you need to start learning. Um, you need to find your teachers. Mm. And um, I feel like that was like the main, main message. And I just was crying and crying and crying and crying and crying. And, um, and that was the beginning. Of your Even though we're like halfway through the talk, but that was the beginning, <laughs> the beginning of, of what I am yeah. now and where I am now. Yeah. So that was the beginning of your yeah, so spiritual that was the beginning journey. Of my journey. Um, so I didn't get sober straight away, but I, um, so I was meant to be moving to Singapore um, mm. when I got out of Burning Man. Um, I had like a managerial role of a sushi bar or something. I can't even really remember, but I, I, I was in talks. Like it was happening. Like we were just coming back and forth with a contract. I sent my contract. Uh, they'd sent the contract to me as I was going into Burning Man. I wrote back my, what, um, like just my changes to it. And, you know, the things that they said on the call that we would do and, and I sent that as I was going into Burning Man. When I came out of Burning Man, they hadn't agreed to anything and I just knew that I wasn't meant to go. And I said, thanks, no thanks, peace, I'm yeah. out. So we went to um, our like washdown, they call it like a washdown after Burning Man, so you go somewhere to just sort of decompress. Yeah. Because it's pretty full on. Yeah. Burning Man's an amazing, you know, week and I highly recommend it to anyone. Yeah. Um, it really does help you to... It gives you exactly what you need. Yeah. And um, I had two mates that were meeting us there and they were going to go on a, like a little pilgrimage to find trimming work <laughs> and just go adventuring. And I just knew I was meant to go with them. I won't tell the full story because it's a bit of a long one and we've been talking a lot already. But um, I, it was the beginning of me starting to trust God again. Yeah. So just a few different things that happened. Like I remember saying to my parents, I'm not taking the job in Singapore and I'm not coming back to Sydney. I'm staying in America. Um, uh, I've changed my flight. I hadn't changed my flight yet, but I, I uh, I've got work. I lied, but. So when you say trimming. Um, working on marijuana plantations. Okay, that sounds, um, okay. Like, <laughs> okay. Where look, that, it, it look, was cash work. I loved I pot loved at the time. I loved weed so much. And, you know, I was with these two guys that I totally trusted. And, yeah, it was, anyway, I remember this is just one of the, like, I was starting to see signs, right? Like, I was starting to get connected to the signs from the universe, yeah. which I'd never really done before. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to change my ticket 
um, and I just, I had like no money, right? But I had just like the exact amount of points, like uh, frequent flyer points that it would have needed, that it would have cost me to change my flight. Yep. It was 11,000 points and that's exactly what I heard. I thought, okay, I'll take that, change the flight. Uh, the night before we were set to leave, me and these two guys, I'm freaking out. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? This is insane. I should not be doing this. But something was telling me I had to go and I had to trust these messages that, and this, this energy. There was this energy kind of pushing me to go and just, just trust yourself. Trust that you can do stuff. Um, and we were sitting around the dinner table and the husband, the man that helped me have that experience, yeah. you could see me wigging out and freaking out. And he said, Katie, have a look at your Coke can. Remember like the Coke cans have all like the different names and all that stuff yeah, on them. Yeah. They just started doing this. Yeah. And I turned it around and it said adventurer okay. on it. Nice. The next day we went into a coffee shop. There was a sign that said, you're exactly where you're meant to be. Like just all this stuff um, started happening. And, and that's how I started on this, on this journey. I mean, even that story, that, sh that, short time there that was a huge evolutionary time for me in terms of my relationship with the divine just i actually started having visions i was able to see things that were happening in the future and then they happened um so i started really waking up um but i got back to la after we got work and all that stuff and um crazy time but also an extremely expansive and um deeply connecting time for me and my high power. And um, I came back to LA and I knew I needed to go and see a woman that I'd met when I first came into recovery at 27. Mm -hmm. um, she was a spiritual healer and a teacher and she was sober. So I reached out to her and I said, I really, I, I said to her in this message, I'm like, this thing has happened, this experience and this, that, and I know I just need to, I know I'm meant to be doing what you're doing. And, um, you know, again, another like just beautiful, the divine just totally holding me through this whole thing. I, I really didn't have much money, even though I'd just been working on a marijuana farm, like yep. ugh, we don't need to get into it. But, um, you know, her student was leaving from L.A. to yep. come down to San Diego okay. the next day. And yep. she said, he's going to bring you, you know, like just things like that. And I got to her and. And I told her the whole story because I knew she'd be able to understand because I, I, she'd told me about experiences of like a car driving through her car, like not crashing, yeah. but like the energy moving so that they didn't actually crash. Yep. Um, and so I knew that she wouldn't think I was crazy or I'd just been high, you know, that it was a very real experience. And... <laughs> bless her she's so beautiful and amazing she sat there very patiently and she believed everything and because it was real but she knew the underlying issue was that I needed to get sober <laughs> and so she heard me out smiled very loving yes yes and uh at the end of the conversation she said so um you know every time you smoke weed or do drugs you rip your aura and I was like what what do you mean and she said yeah and it allows entities to come in to your system yeah and I was horrified because I thought I was now meant to become like the next Jesus I honestly believed 
for a minute there that I was Jesus reincarnated. Okay. That's what happens when you have full-on spiritual experiences, but then continue to do drugs. Sure. Because the ego yeah, holds yeah. on to it. Yeah. And um, and that's actually what got me into recovery. All right. Because I didn't want to damage my energy body anymore. Uh, just for the audience, we had to move inside. You can probably still hear the the saw. But um, I'm so apologise because we we're surrounded by construction sites. It's just it's just the modern world. We can't escape it. It's been like that <laughs> here for the last three years, non-stop. So I'm sorry if the recording you could hear construction noises. But we've moved inside, so we're going to continue the conversation. Mm. Katie, you were talking about. Let's just recap here. You had your spiritual awakening um, in Burning Man. Then you went to see somebody who you'd met in recovery in San Diego, mm. where that's about where we're up to, I yeah. think. Yeah. So, um, look, I just knew that she was who I needed to go and see. And um, as I said before, um, you know, she told me about how, like, when I take drugs, it rips my aura, and I was horrified. Um, she was very clever to be able to get because she could tell I was still like very much on the edge of I wasn't quite like ready to get recovery, you know, to get sober um, that I now was all of a sudden attached to this like I'm spiritual and not that I'm spiritual, but like that I had this job to do. My ego had really hooked into that channeling from my friend. I wasn't in any kind of state of desperation which I truly believe you need um, to make big changes in your mm. life. I don't, I don't yep. mean it's just to do with getting sober. I think, well, no, not everyone, but I, I think majority of us or, or anyone that's like me that's been so run by their ego, I need to be kind of really pushed up against a wall yeah. to change, yep. unfortunately. <laughs> um, and anyway, so she, she said, look, let's go to a meeting. Tomorrow. let's go to a 12-step meeting tomorrow so and that's what I did and I uh I remember I went in and I just cried I just cried through the whole meeting um because there was just this real it was like a sense of relief that I could maybe get off this crazy train that I'd been on for 13 years and there was also a sense of sadness and fear that like, oh my God, this actually might be for real this time. And um, yeah, I spent, I think I had like five days left on my visa in the States. I spent it with her and she was doing healings on me. She was getting rid of energies and entities that I'd picked up along the way, which was really intense. Um, not through her, um, modality but just that there was just so much going on in me and um yeah that really started my journey I um I was inducted into the mystery school that she was a part of um so a mystery school is called a mystery school because it talks about the mysteries of healing and the divine and consciousness and the reason it is a mystery is because it is a mystery this this Thing that we call God and the divine. I love that they've just yeah, we can't now. escape. That's okay. <laughs> I love That's it. all right. I love it. It's like uh, it's interesting that because in the Kali Yuga, yeah, um, 
it, there's so many distractions from the divine and we're trying to have a really divine conversation yeah. and it just isn't lost on me that there's these energies coming from okay. outside trying to distract you just, us. Now you've just opened a big can of worms. Okay. Because <laughs> the distractions from the divine, mm. we've got noises outside, mm -hmm. but the biggest distraction is as far as I know, is the distraction in here. So yeah. the, the voice in the head. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. But that that is, the, the, the mind is partly a reflection. It, it is the creation and a reflection of our environment. So say I was born a Buddhist monk. And I was brought up with meditation and um, a vegetarian diet. But no one's and... born a Buddhist monk, are they? I mean, Sorry? You can't be born a, a monk. I'm just saying, say you were born into that kind of life, like a spiritual it, it, sure. family right. of, of... Well, know... the Buddha himself was, was born into that he was a, he type was a of prince. family. Right. Yeah, he was a prince. Sure. Um, but again, there's like, there's mixed stories about the Buddha, but yeah, he was a prince okay. and he looked over the wall and, and wondered what was out there and just knew that there was more to existence than what he was living in and went to go and find it. Um, but I, I'd say with the mind, you know, yes, it is totally a massive dis distraction and, you know, we as humans have created all these other things to then or we're all, almost be like married with that distraction, mm. thinking that it's distracting us from our distraction in our mind, like television, gaming, mobile phones, porno pornography, mm. um, drugs, alcohol, yeah, yeah, yeah. all that stuff. It's like, I, I believe people use that food. People use that stuff to get away from the uncomfortability that we can develop in our minds. But the mind I have today is is so different to what it was four years ago through meditation, through mm. healing, through yoga, through, you know, self-inquiry, through um, changing the kind of language that I use towards myself, prayer, um, aligning myself with higher states of consciousness, with, with um, cleaner, healthier, more peace-laden ways of being. Mm. Yeah. This is important because this is um something i wanted to discuss with you the gifts of recovery in other words so compared to the uh you know really traumatic insane existence you described earlier mm. what's your life like now <sighs> my life it seems is quite amazing serene now. yeah my life is really amazing now um like a typical day for me is, you know, getting up mostly with the sun, maybe just after the sun. Um, I do breath work, pranayama it's called, but it's just easy to say breath work. Can you explain that to me? Is that through the, the nose? Yeah. So there's different types of pranayama. It's, um, uh, I remember talking about it when I did my yoga teacher training and it's just escaped my mind what it actually means. But prana is the life force. Mm. And yama, it's something to do with control, but it's it's not quite the right word. There's another word for it, so I do apologize to my teacher. But um, so we're working with the life force through um, there's um, alternate nostril breathing, mm. so blocking one side, breathing up, holding it in the third eye, out the other side, holding out in. How long do you in. hold out for? 
three seconds. Okay. So breathe in for about seven seconds, hold for three seconds, out for seven seconds, hold for three seconds, mm. up the same nostril. And how long does, do you repeat that for, that process? Um, you should do about seven rounds. So up, so up one side, out the other side, up the right side, down the left side, that's one round. Mm. So seven rounds of that. Then I do what's called turtle breathing. So it's breathing in and lifting the chin up. I, I really concentrate on my throat chakra through that. So I'm really cleaning out through this area. This is where I, we hold like our ideas of ourselves, our constructs of how life should be. Um, also being able to speak our truth, um, uh, details, timing. So I really should have worked on that this morning considering I was <laughs> so late. Breathing in through the th um, opening of the throat chakra, the, the front of the throat chakra, and then exhaling as I bring my head down and out the back of the throat. Mm. So I'll do um, two round, uh, two so twelve and two rounds of twelve. Okay. And then I would do breath of fire, um, which is the short, sharp breathing. Mm. Um, and then I would do deer breathing, um, where I breathe in from the earth and hold and squeeze my perineum. So like the muscle, if you need to hold to not go to the toilet, like hold your urine in. So squeezing that, pulse that for eight to 10 times, releasing. I do that three times. So three sets of seven to 10 pulses, holding my energy in the perineum there. Um, and then for the last four rounds, I'll bring the energy up into my third eye. And then I meditate for 20 minutes. Yeah. And then I do a round of cities. So Siddha is, means like the perfected human and it's there's these mantras that you can do to help you to attain the qualities of the perfect human. Mm. How long yeah. does all of that take you? Um, that takes me about half an hour and then I'll do some mantra if I have time as well out loud. So okay. like I do japa with my uh, malas. So I'll do one round of japa. Yeah. And wow. then, so yeah, so that's like morning for me. And then I, um, you know, I, I do some, I have some herbs that I'm taking at the moment, some Ayurvedic herbs. I'm on like an Ayurvedic um, program at the moment. Um, I try to move my body in some way, shape or form. I water my garden, which is something that I really love and have just started doing. Having, I have, I've started to garden out the back of my room. Um, I have a beautiful animal that I love. He's my world. Um, I live with my folks at the What's moment. What's the animal? A little cat. Okay. Yeah. Um, I live with my folks at the moment, so I try and, you know, make them a cup of tea or do something for them. Um, and then my day can be filled with either clients. So I'm a therapist now. Um, I work with energy and counseling skills and, um, I either teach them some mantra or um, will move some of that lower level energy that they're holding onto that's keeping them in a vibration that's keeping them stuck in, say, uh, not making as much money as they would like or bringing in a relationship or um, achieving whatever it is that they're looking to achieve, X, Y, Z, you know, going to go study, bringing in more clients, whatever it is. Um, so I help them release that energy and I put in... Um, through channeling energy and through their will and their own guidance and direction, um, I'll project um, the positive energy and help them um, be blessed and um, energized with what it is that they actually want. But, you know, it's like things with the secret, like the secret. Yep. You know, it's all very good to do, um, uh, what what is it, um, when you... Um, 
trying to manifest something um, like positive quotes and things like that. That's all well and good. But if you're still sitting with stuff that you actually truly believe about yourself, it's like putting sugar, sugar on shit. You mm-hmm. know, it, it won't work. Mm. You've got to get rid of the shit first and then you can get the sugar. Yeah. If that makes sense. Um, I am at university. I am studying to become a teacher. Okay. Um, I have, I had a vision during my drinking and drugging days. One night I went home and um, I had a very clear vision. My third eye opened and I saw this school um, that, and this was before I ever touched on any spirituality, prayer, meditation, yoga, anything. I mean, I did a bit of yoga, but, but I saw this school and it looks like it's in like the Byron hinterland somewhere. Um, but I could see it clear as day. These kids were doing meditation and mantra and movement every morning. Um, and it was a, you know, an academic school, but with the basis of spirituality and emotional intelligence and communication skills and internal inquiry and, um, yeah, talking about how they're feeling. and um, So that's an ambition of yours then, yeah, is it? Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. now trying to make happen. Yeah, yeah, so I'm at university doing that and, you know, I'm, I've been studying for the past four years in this mystery school as well as trips to India, doing study over there, um, getting myself as clear a channel as I possibly can be for the divine's purpose for me in this incarnation. And... I want to hear about India. You're, mm. going, you're going to India on Saturday. Yeah. Today is Thursday, so mm. two, two days. Yeah. You want to take me with you? Sure. <laughs> I'd love to go sure. to India. Yeah. But, of course, um, maybe next time. Um, yeah. Tell me about India. What's, um, you're going to see your guru. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sri Shakti Amanaraini. Um, this being... Um, is what is called an avatar. Uh, they come into human form, like the divine comes in human form to balance out the adharma. So you may have heard of like dharma, dharmic path through Buddhism. Um, like we're to live our dharma and it's the righteous path. But when the world flips into more adharma than dharma, um, the divine will come and help to rebalance the world. Mm. And that is my guru, Amma. Okay. Amma? Amma. Is that the hug? No. 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 Who's that? So Amma, she is, it is said that she is Kali in um, human form. Yeah. So um, Kali is the goddess that um, she can be depicted as quite scary. she has a garland oh, yes. of skulls yeah. around her neck and like she has the tongue out and her eyes are very fierce, but it's, she loves so fiercely. That's, um, that's actually what she's doing. She's loving us so much that she'll take on our egos for us. And, um, yeah, so she, so Amma, um, that Amma is, um, supposedly she is, a, an incarnation of Kali so my guru is um, in a male's body, but is the divine mother, um, which might sound kind of weird. But what I, I, I think is fantastic is that, um, you know, this being has come. I love that the flies yeah, followed us in. Yeah, they followed us in. All the distractions. <laughs> so Amma has come um, 
in a male's body. Well, one, in India, it's still a very patriarchal society. Mm. So to get anything done, you kind of need to be a man. Mm. Um, but she is the divine mother. She's Narayani, um, which is the triple-headed goddess Durga, Lakshmi and Saraswati. I don't know if any of that means anything to you, but um, that's that's who... Um, my guru is she's the human she's come in human form but she's the divine mother and avatar so an avatar means like people like you and i we have souls and we reincarnate and we come back and back and back not ama she's just pure divinity okay in a human form all right um so you've been seven times to Mm -hmm. india Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah 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 that's so awesome yeah um it's my second home I've, i've spent many lives there according I can feel really? it, but also I've had many readings where I've just had many, many, many lives there. So it feels, it sometimes feels like more home than Australia does. But I know I'm in Australia because I believe, like in this incarnation, because I believe this is the country that can really make a change. We have every opportunity here. Here in Australia? Yeah, to make a change in the way things are done. We really, like renewable energy, education systems, we we're, we're we're small enough, but yet big enough mm. to make an impactful change that could change how other countries do things. Okay. Yeah. Um, and Katie, there's a question I ask every guest, uh, which I'll ask you after this first question. Okay. So there's two more <laughs> questions. This the next question is, what do you, what would you say to someone who might be listening, mm-hmm. who uh, is is thinking that oh God. I'm, I might be addicted to mm. drugs, I might mm. be addicted to alcohol, I might be addicted to anything. Um, what, and, you know, what, I mean, it's a tough question, but I mean, what sort of general advice would you have for that person? So, what I would say is go for 30 days without a drink or a drug. Just go for 30 days. Mm. You know, your, your, your normal drinker can do it no problem. Um, and now, if you want to get, if you want to actually go down this journey, you need to be prepared to get really, really honest with yourself. Mm. So on that path of the thirty days, I would be journaling, and I would be writing down what's going on. So noticing whether you're, um, you know, a, a lot quicker to be angry, um, a lot quicker to be frustrated, um, if you're obsessing about it, if you're thinking about it. Um, and I think that's a really good start, like just trying to go sober. Um, if you're a really heavy drinker um, and the idea of putting down a drink absolutely terrifies you, then I would be speaking to a special, like a, a therapist of some sort um, um, or a doctor, because if you are an extremely heavy drinker, you might go into the DTs and you might actually really hurt yourself physically. Um, if you think that you might have alcoholism or addiction there are plenty of 12-step programs out there um, that you can look up online there's lots of meetings Um, but there's also I there's this wonderful woman Ruby Warrington who's written a book called Mm. Sober Curious now she uh, went to meetings because she felt she was drinking too much and but she couldn't relate to anyone in the rooms now I relate to that I remember when I first went into the rooms of um, recovery, yeah. I wasn't relating to people because I didn't want to relate to people. Mm-hmm. There were sparks of, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But there was this huge um, 
uh, overwhelming sense of like, I didn't want to relate because I didn't want to be. Um, but there are people that are possibly drinking too much um, that aren't, they, that, that don't have this disease yes. as it's, so, as it's yeah. so called. But this book, Sober Curious, I haven't actually read it myself, but I've listened to quite a few interviews with her. And I just think it's a really, like I've got a girlfriend right now who um, read the book and, and she's not drinking at the moment. She's not one of us, but she definitely was partying too much because yeah. um, she'd just kind of gotten into the swing of that. So, um, and, you know, in this day and age, a lot of people are drinking and a lot of people are taking drugs. And I would say it's down to this Kali Yuga as well. You know, people are um, feeling so separate from the divine that um, those, like, they say it's replacing the spirit with the spirit, you know. So I say people are getting that feeling that their soul is actually yearning for, um, through a drink or a drug. Mm. So it, it is hard to look at that stuff and to maybe put down the drink because, you know, it, it seems to be that that's what everyone does. But what I would say to that is um, there's a whole other world out there. You know, I was terrified when I first got sober. I thought, what am I going to do? I'm a DJ. You know, yeah. I'm, for a li- I mean, I'm a therapist as well, but... I, um, you know, that, and that was my life. That was my world. And I, it took me a good year and it might sound like a long time for someone, but it took me a year to learn how to be in the world mm. sober, but it was worth the work because now I'm free. I don't have to have that stuff to be able to have a conversation. I wouldn't have been able to do this with you three years ago. No way. Yeah. No way. That's a good test, isn't it? For someone who's sober curious or just thinking, oh, geez, there might be someone... Try stopping for 30 days. Mm. See how insane you go. Mm. But I want to say an important thing for Mm. me, which is something that I learned, was, my God, the community of recovering alcoholics and and Mm. recovering addicts stick together. Mm. There's such a good um, bond of, you know, like they're just the support. It's like you, you leave the world of addiction behind where largely you're incredibly isolated and disconnected in spirit, which is mm. something I think you've been referring to this mm. whole time, is that's the spiritual malady. Mm. You know, that's where you just feel complete and that the drugs fill up that hole. Mm. But isn't, yeah, for me that, and I don't know if you've found, but the connection with other human beings in totally. recovery is so worth Yeah, and I think that was what helped me to be able to connect with non addicts and alcoholics was like that. My first port of call was other people that knew how I operated and knew how my brain worked and they just loved me anyway. Um, and then through working, um, a 12 step program, I developed my conscious contact with God, which is actually what I'm here to do. Mm. And then through doing that, I'm able to find the God in every single person because we're all God. Totally. Yeah, but I, I couldn't see that before because I couldn't see it in me. Yeah. Um, final question. And uh, it's a bit of a cliche question, but it's the title of my show. So do you think addiction is a gift or can addiction be a gift? And if so, why? Yeah, definitely. I truly believe that my soul signed up for this. Um, you know, we come to earth as souls and we forget. We forget. We come into these human forms and we totally forget that we're actually divine. And so the process of being an addict or an alcoholic is, um, if we're lucky, 
we spiral um, and we hit a rock bottom um, or we have a spiritual awakening like what happened to me. Um, But in saying that, with my spiritual awakening, I was also then able to see that I'd been living at rock bottom for quite some time. Um, So I just thought I'd add that in. Um, But that's interesting, isn't it? Some people say, oh, they hit rock bottom. Once, but I mean, you can be dragged along mm, rock bottom for a long, long time, time, can't you? Totally. Yeah, yeah. It's everybody's not, different. Yeah, everybody's different. Yeah. Everyone's journey and into the recovery is different. But um, I definitely would say it's been a gift for me. I can only speak for myself that you know, getting so far away from God and being so lost and so desperate and so alone and in so much pain that I was I was open to hearing a message. Now. If I hadn't been in that place, um, I still would have been under the guise of my ego that was telling me that I knew how to do this thing, you know, that I had it licked, mm, that I had it yeah. sorted, that I had it, that I, I, I knew, you know. Um, so for me to get to that place of like, oh, my God, I actually have no idea how to do this. I have no idea how to do life. I have no idea how to be or exist without that stuff in my system. Mm. Um, I was desperate and so I was able to hear some suggestions and, um, and then it led me onto this amazing path that has been so much bigger than just like being sober, you know, like I'm, I'm a spiritual aspirant. I'm, um, you know, I have dreams and goals of having a school that helps children to grow in connection to the divine and to the earth. Um, I, I have beautiful, deep and meaningful relationships with other human beings. Um, I'm able to wake up today, you know, I don't have that dread like I used to. I'm excited about what the adventure of this day will bring. You know, like anything and everything is an adventure now rather than I'm no longer in that victimhood of, oh, my God, what's going to happen to me today? It's like, oh, my God, what's going to happen to me today? You know, yeah. it's totally... It's totally different. That's, that's fantastic. Do you have a gratitude sort of um, um, sometimes, thing? Sometimes, but I, I, I really make a conscious effort with gratitude when I can feel the fault-finding mind has taken over, which can still happen, okay. you know. Like I'll, I'll find, you know, that I'll be in that period where yeah. I'm like, you know, oh, everything's bad and this is happening. And I'm like, ah, I need to get into some gratitude. I have got a lot to be thankful for. Sure. It's hard just, isn't it? Because that's the default setting for my brain at least is that critical voice Mm -hmm. in the head. Mm -hmm. It's there so often and trying to overcome it is. After a few years of doing this stuff, Mm. I'm more in the bliss and peace and joy and light than I am in that. Okay. Yeah, it's the scales yeah, are tipped now. Yeah, that's good. To the other side. Yeah. Yeah. I've obviously got a lot of work to do on myself. Look, I it's, get it's, moments of it. Yeah. Little um, glimpses. Yeah. And and for me, it's like oh, I just I just want that so badly because the the existence of living in my head is torture. Yeah, and I, but I truly believe that this existence that I'm in is available to every single person be alive. You know, it's yeah. it's it's. It's a matter of doing some consistent work and um, and choosing. It's choosing, you know. Like there are days 
where I haven't been able to see any good, but I've chosen or I've asked for help to like make a call to someone else to help me to pull me out of that mud, mm. you know, that real heavy darkness, you know. Um, but I think when we've operated in that place for so long, it's we're changing neural pathways and that takes time. Mm. And it takes consistent work too. It's so easy to go down that old track. Yeah, we can't get her get away from it i think i'm not, not just say how do is the greeting is it namaste yeah, namaste. namaste katie thanks namaste. for coming <laughs> Thank and you, speaking baby. to me that's been it's been awesome thank you thanks Cheers. for having me